is the season to be spooky and we like to be spooky on this podcast so strap in for the 2022 halloween special of that song from that movie The Canadians have bombed the Baldwins. All the Baldwins. All the Baldwins. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey for the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your podcast for the recently deceased host, Dietrich, and we're joined by the 9,998,383,750,000 in the queue, Alex. Hopefully there'll be a, a, some sort of tribes person I can uh, switch tickets with, although my end up with my head shrinked, I suppose. And also with us today is the man who gave me the go-ahead to finally reveal his full name, Bentaljuice. <laughs> Bentaljuice is something you would have called me during like our French classes, <laughs> which used to happen at school. Don't say it again, though. You've already said it twice. Don't say it again. Don't be giving it out on the internet. <laughs> So wait, 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 wait. What came first, Beetlejuice or Candyman? I don't know. I thought you were going to say Beetlejuice or Bentaljuice. I was like, no, I made this up yesterday. No, you said it three times. <laughs> uh, oh, God, Ben's here. <laughs> in-person podcasting. First came in your ears, and now he's coming into the living room. Oh, man. I would like to know in the past fortnight, what have you been watching? Cha-cha-cha. <laughs> I watched the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Oh, last yeah, night. yeah, yeah. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I thought it was very, very, very entertaining. Good. It is yeah. good. It is amazing. I enjoyed yes. it a lot. I wasn't sure at first because like, I've obviously heard a lot of good things, and it's kind of, I mean, it's not slow because obviously the, the point of the beginning is it's very fast paced, but I was finding it quite hard to like keep like keep tabs on it you know get to grips with what's going on but then you kind of really warm up to everything that's happening and it just sort of makes sense <laughs> it feels like it's all nonsense and you realize oh wait there's a point <laughs> yes <laughs> and, no, and then he's points. like oh my god how are they making this point with all of this nonsense yeah yeah it's almost like i don't get any of this don't get this i'm following this entirely like you just sort of <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden like it becomes like warm like all warm. at once yeah, all the ones, exactly. yeah, all the it ones. is an absolutely. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I just think it's one of the best films I've seen in it's ages. Definitely an experience that you need to uh, put yourself through. What you do? I finally watched Last Night in Soho. I've been meaning to watch it for a while. Oh yeah, good film. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I think sometimes, I think because he's so well known for comedy, sometimes there'd just be the odd comedic bit thrown in, and I always felt like it was a bit jarring. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it's not a perfect film, but it's no. it's a good ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is yeah, Last yeah. Night in Soho the one that's like Lady Joker? Uh, Lady Joker. I thought that was wasn't that Cruella? <laughs> Lady Joker. Yeah, I don't think the actual like plot of the film is Lady. I Joker, know what you mean. People were talking I'm, I'm about like the vibe of the movie was like the female version of Joker. Uh, I can't see that. I might be getting it mixed up with But to fame, it's, it's, it does sound like lazy journalism that is quite... Just to compare one film to a... It's like <laughs> the the female usual suspects. Something Sounds like pretty that. good. Well, I went to the cinema last night <gasps> and I wondered whether or not you, either you guys went. I went to see Glass Onion. Ah, uh, right. The, uh, I saw that it was like a weird like LFF showing yeah. showcase is that what you went to see i saw that it was on last night yeah so i went to that which meant it had half an hour of edith bowman interviewing the cast beforehand and it was painful yeah because i was confused by the description of it so it was like it showed like some red carpet stuff first but then just showed the film normally 
Because I was like yeah. envisaging that it was like you were watching them watch it on the screen at the BFI, <laughs> isn't it? Like no, some sort of good. like surreal experience. So you saw like edited down highlights in inverted comment from the gala, which was yeah half an hour of just painful interview questions with the cast members where they wasn't allowed to speak about the film. So it was just, <laughs> oh, the costuming was great. Every single one of them. And it was like, there was a, there was a guy next to me because it was quite full in the cinema. He got to like um, the very last person, and Edith Bowen was like, "And now, finally, Daniel Craig." And the guy next to me, "Thank fuck for that." (laughs) (laughs) We were we were all that guy. Yeah. As soon as it ended, he played a clip of um, Rian Johnson saying, "Look, you see an advanced preview of this film. Don't tell anybody about what you see, sort of thing. Don't don't spoil anything. Spoil it for me, spoil it." (laughs) Yeah, because isn't is it not going straight to Netflix? Have Have I got that wrong? I'm sure I saw a post of it somewhere with the word Netflix on it. The Netflix have agreed to put it in cinemas for like a week. Right, yeah. So like a week in November it will be showing and then it's on Netflix in December. Oh. Uh, wait, is it just to get into like award seasons? I forget what the rules are now at the moment. I think Netflix have realised that they can put that film on at the cinema and people with Netflix subscriptions will still pay and go see it like me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you well, absolute foldy. I'd assumed when I saw that it was on that, oh, it'll be on Netflix next week. Otherwise I might have gone because like if it's this far in advance... It's really good, though. It's good. It's really good. Yeah, it? that's, that's, it's, a, it's a worthy follow-up to Knives Out. But it's got a terrible name, though, hasn't it? Why is it the called The Knives onion. Out? No, I don't mind The Glass Onion, although it is a Beatles song. I don't know if that's a reference in the thing. But um, it's called, like, The Knives Out a Knives Out film or something, isn't it? Like, The Glass Onion, A Knives Out film or something. It's, thankfully, it's not called that in the film. Oh, like, okay. it just, I, it's I, just yeah. in the film's just called Glass Onion, thankfully. I think it's just a poster thing. I've, I've seen that on the poster, and I thought, is that is that what it's called? Because what the hell is that? It annoyed me that it was called A Knives Out Mystery when it should have been a Benoit Blanc mystery. Like, he's the <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. That's what, they should be marketing Benoit Blanc. I mean, I get that they've done it so that people know that it is the sequel to that film, but couldn't they just put Glass Onion sequel to Knives Out? Like, isn't that just simpler? But is it, it a se- is it a sequel? Like, is Death oh, well, on the Nile a sequel to... Um, yeah, yeah, they are, Murder technically. The they do follow on. Just it's the same guy. Yeah, well, it's Poirot, isn't it? But they do follow on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, a sequel in the sense that it is the next film. But I suppose, <laughs> or, like, it's like Jim Bond's sequels? Yeah, well, you, they, they are sequels, technically, aren't they? I don't know. You may, it's my, my, my nose is bleeding. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They could have just put another in store. Yeah, I don't know. Just like the next film. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. It's called The Knives Out. Anyway, I'm talking about this too much, probably. <laughs> just bothered me. So today we've got to be very careful not to repeat ourselves again as we're covering it, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. But to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out. Time for some history. Going back to August 1988 and the news was crap. There was no news. You know what else was crap? Movies. Because movies are my backup. You know what? The news is rubbish. I can always rely on good old movies. This has got to be one of the worst months of films I've ever seen. Usually when I go back to a month, it's like, oh, wow, amazing. Look at all these amazing films that came out. Pure trash. Absolute trash. The highest grossing film that was released in August 88 was Nightmare on Elm Street 4. (laughs) it's the best word the threatening however the one thing i have realized by doing this is that i can stumble upon a film that came out in a month that is just pure trash now i came across a film called hot to trot what do you think the film hot to trot is about horse racing i mean it's got something to do with horses um hot it's like sea biscuit zero is it hot and then the number two 
trot. Like it's a sequel. no, no, no. It's just hot to trot. Is it? Is it? Is it a horror film or is it? Like it's not. A... It's I. I've watched the trailer and I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I thought it was a family comedy and then they started talking about sex. Ooh, okay. Okay. With, and it's, this is a Warner horses. Brothers film. This is a Warner okay. Brothers film. <laughs> And it actually has re- relevance to what we're going to be discussing today. So, hot to trot. Right, here's the narrative. Fred P. Cheney receives, as inheritance after the death of his mother, a speaking horse that also has good knowledge about the stock market. <laughs> With the help of this horse, Fred gains a lot at the stock market of Chicago. He's basically like a terrible like, idiot, a bit like a Jim Belushi style guy, but all of a sudden becomes this big wig thanks to the help of his talking horse. <laughs> I like it as well that it was the stock market. Like it wasn't like he didn't have hot tips about the horse racing, <laughs> yeah, is, which would have made so much is, sense. Is, it doesn't make sense because there is a lot of horse racing in the in the clip, <laughs> and the horse is talking about sex a lot, so it's very uncomfortable. It's very weird. Does but he at any is, point use the term "hung like a horse"? This is August '88. <laughs> uh, maybe it did, but it doesn't. It doesn't spoil that joke in the in the trailer. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the best joke. Ever. That is not, and I will tell you now, that is not the only time I will mention Hot to Trot on this podcast. <laughs> now, another film came out in 88. The only film that this came out in the UK in 88, which is why I get around it. But Beetlejuice. 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 For what we could consider it, it is a amalgamation of fantasy, horror, and comedy, directed by Tim Burton, starring the likes of Catherine O'Hara, Winona Ryder, and Michael Keaton in the titular role. Uh, for the unaware, the plot revolves around a recently deceased couple who, as ghosts haunting their former home, contact Beetlejuice, an obnoxious and devious bio-exorcist, brilliant name, from the netherworld to scare away the house's new inhabitants. Now, I know we've all seen this, so what do we think of this film? It was such a long, long time since I've watched this movie that I felt I had to watch it again in preparation for this recording. Go. So I did, and my main prevailing thought was, no way. That was Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> you thought you got them mixed up in your childhood. But wait, is that good or bad? Because I don't I like Drop Dead Fred. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think of Drop Dead Fred from my childhood when I try to think of Beetlejuice. Was, was there... Well, okay, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> they, they're not similar, but if you were to Google, for example, if this is a thing, if you Google Beetlejuice and then put the letter D... Drop Dead Fred. You get Drop, drop Dead Fred, yeah. So, and his articles <laughs> comparing the two. So, it's not just me. This is a, a thing other people have experienced as well. Right. Maybe it's some sort of weird, like, cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it must be. But this is a Beetlejuice episode. So, my opinion of Beetlejuice is I've really enjoyed it. And I find it hard to believe that anyone else doesn't enjoy it. Oh, that's quite hard to remember it, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is based on me re watching it. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's hard not to like the movie in in some way. Like, it's just got so much character to it, and it has such a vibe that it. I think anyone of any taste can find something that they liked in this movie when they put it on and walk away from it positively. Maybe it doesn't give a lasting impression, as we've learned from, uh, <laughs> from the Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, really enjoyed watching this movie back, and uh, it annoyed me that I haven't watched it back again sooner. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, I, I definitely felt like that as well. Rewatching it recently, Alex, what do you think? Uh, similar thoughts, really. Like it has been a very long time since I watched it as well, but I watched it yesterday. So um, look at us being actual, actual, pretty good. Thank you, Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, thank you, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Sponsors. 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 Um, I think it's just really fun, isn't it? It's probably. I think for me, it's probably one of Tim Burton's best films. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so. I think it kind of captures everything that is good about his films. Like, it's mad. It's a bit funny. Um, and it's like, I think out of, mo- out of all of them, it's the one that's kind of the most surreal and like out of the depths of some sort of weird delirium. Like, it's all just a bit weird, <laughs> but in, in a good way. I love the use of stop motion and um, like kind of tangible effects in this as well, because I think it really adds to the creepiness, but also. I don't know, in this day of CGI. I know there is CGI in this film as well, but there's a lot of good physical effects going on in this film, which I like. The CGI is probably the worst bits. <laughs> yes, it probably is, actually. Like, the weird kind of desert scenes with the floating door or the weird... Although I think that that scene used to be on an advert for, like, DVDs to, like, show the quality <laughs> of DVDs. <laughs> I could be wrong about that, but I think... I feel like it was... That's why I was weird. This is five years before Starship Troopers, which is still the, the greatest CGI film of all time. <laughs> but do you, do you know, we used to buy a VHS and it used to... For a period, used to advertise DVDs on the VHS, oh, yep, like yep. DVD players. I'm sure that they maybe yeah. used some of this film in that. I can't remember. But it certainly it's... reminded me of those adverts anyway. I only own one VHS, and that is uh, Ringu, the Japanese ring, for reasons that I feel it's more cool to own it in a VHS form because it has a point of like you, the, v- the VHS gets passed around and it has the seven days, you know, and people are dying for it. Yes, and it so has the actual. You're just waiting to die then. So. <laughs> well, pa- partially, partially. I keep watching it, but I ain't doing it. <laughs> when did you watch it last? <laughs> but annoyingly, like, because it, it even has, like, the original, the clip that they've used in the film, like, at the start, so, you know, it feels really eerie. But then it also has an advert for DVDs on it. Which <laughs> 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 ruins the entire vibe. Does it have that word about being locked up uh, for private You know, like, uh, for privacy. You want to steal a car. You want to steal a car. Oh, that one, you know, that where that guy had, like, that metal, like, branding thing? Do you know the one oh, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The best films. one, this is a clearly such a tangent, the one when it was um, it was an advert for, like, was it Dolby, Dolby or something, or THX? It has a helicopter flying through, like, a city. And it's like, <laughs> yes. that's the yeah. greatest. Yeah. Oh, if I saw that at the cinema, I was pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely pumped. Anyway, sorry, Alex. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was essentially... The, the only thing I wanted to mention was that I... Um, Beetlejuice as a character was a lot pervier than I remembered him being. Yeah, I, I, I love everything in this film apart from Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't, he's not really in it loads, is he? Like, he doesn't come in. Which to, is good. Uh, yeah, until like kind of like half an hour in, and then even after that, he's barely in it. But that part, I did, yeah, on rewatch, I didn't really. Oh, I didn't remember that, it, that that was the way the character was. I remember him being a bit gross out, but I don't remember him being like openly pervy like he yeah. was. So that was, that was uh, something that I hadn't expected. Um, and didn't yeah didn't enjoy that much, but the film on the whole I did I did very much enjoy reading. It's weird, I think because I don't know if it's the time of when it was done or because it's this sweet spot I think for Tim Burton for me where he's just done Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which is very very camp, and then he's about to move into Batman, which is kind of like the sort of dark noir camp still, and Beetle just kind of sits perfectly in the middle. Then he just goes into his dark, I think, for me, Tim Burton, where I, I, I'm, I, I go off him a little bit. But it's this weird kind of like surreal bend that he does things. I, he almost gets away with that sort of stuff. Because I kept thinking, like, could you make Beetlejuice now? Because there's quite a lot of scenes where it has like pizza, like people hanging. You know, I like think, mm-hmm. and they're not. It's not necessarily like people um, over over garishly used with makeup or something. There is just scenes of people hanging, and he really kind of twists the darkness into it. Like it's not. It almost feels like you could watch like three or four minutes of it, or the scene that we're going on to speak about, and it feels like a family film. And then you could watch another scene, and it feels like a 15. Yeah. You know? And it's really, really weird. And I don't think there's any film that could really do that now. Like, you have to be, because of marketing is such a big thing of it now. 
you have to really know your audience and and not skew far from that. Like what Marvel films get like one, was it two curse bombs or whatever it is? You can say like shit or something like that and that's about it. Yeah. You have to be so on the line. Whereas Beetlejuice is just all over. You have no idea where it's going. And I just don't, I don't think you could do that now. What do you know what rating it is, this one? What is it? Uh, that's a good point. Let me just look at BBFC. Because I, I remembered it and like when I went to watch it. It's, I was a, tw- like, oh, it's a 12A. Right, because I was thinking, oh, it's like a family film, like with a few uh, edgy yeah. moments. But no, like when you are watching it, you're like, it is all over the place. There's like points where it's like, uh, this could be an 18, definitely. That's the thing. He uses the word fuck a lot. There's like I say, it's a dead woman scene with scars on her wrists. You could just never do that now in like any kind of lighthearted film. You know, like with mental health progressing and like you know awareness of suicide. But it doesn't feel like it when you're watching it. Like I, I am so aware of stuff like that speaking of like last night in soho like i'm so aware of when mental health is being like and like potentially is it uh ghosts or is it psychosis or something like that but beetlejuice i just don't feel like that because it's so camp and it seems to yeah. get away with it and i don't even have that sort of niggling in my brain because it's so camp and left field and i almost rides that perfect sweet spot if my memory serves they announced recently again that they're doing a, a sequel to Beetlejuice, so it'll be interesting to see like what rating it gets this time. The only way I think you can do it is it's like Heather's and having it really political commentary and like having that because Beetlejuice almost exists in com- a complete netherworld, you know, which is but a complete like site aware uh, um, separate from reality. Whereas I think they're going to have to pull it in because I think there's a Beetlejuice musical as well, so I don't know how they do that. <laughs> yeah. When I was watching, I was trying to think like, what is what is the point behind this film? Because uh, yeah. like I was thinking, well, is it about capitalism? You know, you have these big shot, uh, you know, New Yorkers coming in and taking over this small rural town. They want to turn it into a theme park and stuff, which which kind of makes sense as as a kind of story. But then those characters, they're not they're not evil characters, are they? Like the the, the family no, no, that no. move in, they're like they're fun eccentric sort of Tim Burton characters, but they're not. There's no evil to them because the the villain is Beetlejuice in the story, and yeah, at the very yeah. end they're all living nicely together. So I was I was trying to think like what what it actually is the message behind this film, or does it not need one? Is it is it even important? It's it was just quite difficult to decipher on that level. But I felt like he didn't really didn't need to be anything behind it really because it's just sort of fun. They probably just worked backwards on the concept of having a sort of uh, Beetlejuice character. And went right, how can we make this into a feature length film? Mm. Because the amount of time that Beetlejuice is actually in this film is so short that they probably just had a nugget of an idea and just kept adding things around it until it reached an hour and a half. 90 minutes, (laughs) which is more or less dead on, isn't it? 90 minutes. Because it's like his outfit, the black and white suit, he wears that for like 30 seconds at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you'd have asked me before I rewatched it, I'd have just thought he's always in that. (laughs) Exactly. If I was to, to, you know, describe him, I would say that's the thing. The green hair, the white face and the pinstripe suit. Tim Burton wanted the film to feel like a, a B movie of the eighties, you know, like those Ed Wood films, the films that he grew up on, and those films never had points. So maybe it was just all the point was in the ability to have fun with it, and you know, the the special effects, the cool things that you could do with it, while still having that almost schlocky style. And it had a budget of fifteen million, which wasn't that much back then. Pee Wee's Big Adventure had done quite well, so they gave him a bit more, and it made seventy five mil, I think, which was a good turnaround. You know, if you say you've got to at least make double back. Yeah. Originally, though, he was being offered various scripts by Warner Brothers, so he wanted to do Batman. That was supposed to be his next film, but it was taking a while to kind of get the to iron out the creases of that one. The film he was offered to direct <laughs> was, hot to, was hot to trot. <laughs> Tim Burton. Well, go go back, whoever's listening, and watch the trailer for Hot to Trot, and then imagine it as a Tim Burton film. Might have been quite different. 
but eventually he was given the script for Beetlejuice. It's one of those things I almost credit him as writing the script, but I think he was given I the script. I assume that he must have invented it, you know, like um, yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas type of thing. As far as I am aware, from what I've read, he did not. Uh, obviously, he was very heavy in all the special effects and, you know, the easy style. He kind of invented the style of this because Pee-wee's Big Adventure's not dark at all, really. <laughs> and then he goes on, so yeah, you, you've got Batman, you've got Edward Scissorhands, you know, and we keep going, I don't know how far into Sleepy Hollow and stuff like this in the future. But yes, they didn't like, the studio execs of Warner Brothers didn't like the name Beetlejuice. They wanted the film to be called House Ghosts, <laughs> which would have been crap. Um, House Ghosts. <laughs> apparently, I think in his autobiography, Tim Burton said that, almost ribbing with the studio execs, and he offered the name Scared Sheetless. Uh, and apparently, <laughs> they actually considered it for a while. <laughs> it's pretty good. Scared Sheetless would have been a great name. Scared Sheetless. Sheetlejuice? <laughs> I don't even... It, it works for the pun, but I don't understand the point. <laughs> that sounds like something else entirely. <laughs> you never want to have Sheetlejuice. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Need to get that in the washing machine straight away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. So yeah, I think the soundtrack's pretty iconic as well for this film. Both the orchestral backing done by Oingo Boingo, famous Danny Elfman, <laughs> of course. he who did Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure as well. Tim Burton managed to convince him to come back for Beetlejuice, and he kind of made a career from this on out. Danny Elfman didn't want to do film. He had no um, history or no experience, really, of doing movie scores. It's weird to think that he then goes on to make one of the most iconic like film scores in Batman, like straight afterwards. And then has made a career out of this. But alongside the orchestral backing and the soundtrack, we also have two songs by Harry Belafonte, which are famous. One uh, in particular we are going to discuss today, which is Deo in brackets, the banana boat song. Respect the brackets. (laughs) There is an honourable mention and a brief mention for the song Jump in the Line, Shake Senora. Again, respect the brackets which kind of bookends the film in a very brief moment of Winona Ryder floating in the air doing a little dance. But yeah, Dale, which I think is a fairly famous song. One of those where if you described it to someone, you might not realise what you're on about until you hear the iconic just Dale. I feel like it's been used on a breakfast advert before. Oh, definitely has. Yeah, I actually have a note about that. Yeah, go on, nice, go on. Every time I try to sing this song, after the day, I just go straight into Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. So, I knew it was on something. So, yeah, it's got to have a bowl of Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre. <laughs> Kellogg man, come man. God. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had that first line and then they were just like something, something, you know. Yeah, that's true. I watched the advert back. Like, I found it on YouTube. It's from 2001. What I obviously didn't realise at the time, when I was, well, 10 years old probably when this advert was airing, is that it actually mimics the sort of scene, like, sort of, like, p- the possession. Oh, really? Oh. Yes. The advert for Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre is a reference to Beetlejuice. Nice. Good for your colon. Good for your <laughs> colon. <laughs> that was the famous tagline for Kellogg's Fruit and Fibre. Oh. Yeah, that's why I associate this song with kind of, like, oh, it's almost a gimmicky song in my mind. What do you think of you know, I quite like the song. I don't have any particular fondness necessarily for this song in its own right, only that it exists and I, and I know it. Um, <laughs> if we're going on to talking about its use in the film, mm-hmm. I think it's just a really, really strong scene within this film that really kind of brings the fun. I mean, it is a very fun film in general, but this scene just kind of really does come out of nowhere because these sort of... You've heard that they're going to try 
something new in terms of haunting this family, but you've got really no idea when it, what it is or when it's going to happen. And all of a sudden, this just just song just like bursts out of Catherine O'Hara, who in this scene, by the way, gives an incredible performance. Because like the, the fact that they can all keep such like a shocked, scared face while doing those dance moves, I think, is is credit to everybody who is in the scene because it is truly incredible. Good Sally, doesn't it? And all while Kevin's still at home. I just think this scene, well, then being fantastic, I think it sort of goes back to what I was saying for the movie as a whole, where there's something for everybody in this film to find and to like. The scene works as a like possession of ghosts. It works as a kooky dance. <laughs> it's not. It's not too dark. It, it also is quite dark when you really think about it, like in terms of what the ghosts are doing to them. Mm. It, it's just a joy to watch. And yeah, I, I've, I just have to echo like the sentiments of like being able to mind the song whilst pretending that you don't know that you're singing the song whilst doing the dance moves is uh, quite a feat that I don't think I could pull off. I think it also helps that the uh, the, the dub of it is quite poor. <laughs> if it just doesn't feel like it's almost connected to them, it just feels like there is they're almost like a they're a megaphone as Harry Belafonte is just booming out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely hilarious. It's infectious, and the yeah. song—the song has that kind of jovial element to it. it. It is a working song. I'll go into a bit more about that. But it just when they start, what, what's the you know the guy? I forget his name. The, he plays the um, principal in Ferris Bueller. Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, yeah, evil man. It's just pure like shock <laughs> of when he's when he's kind of like getting flung forward. I think he's really. It, it, for some reason, I just can't help but smile and laugh. And yet, probably one of the standout moments of just enjoyment. I think there's better technical moments, and I think there's better um, creative scenes, but this probably does stand out for me. Probably, and, and I think the song is a good choice. And I think, like, if you if you mention yeah. this film to people, this is probably the scene that they do remember, which says a lot for the song yeah. choice and also the way it's performed, and just like yeah, how it sits in the film because. You know, it doesn't even include the title character. And and this is the weird thing about Beetlejuice, isn't it? Which we've already kind of discussed that he, as a character, is only in it kind of for a very short period of the film in terms of the runtime. Yet the visual of him is quite iconic, but that's an, a visual that doesn't really exist. And like, he's not even in probably the most famous scene from the film. It's not. It is really odd, actually. Yeah, I've never really thought about it in that much depth, but it is odd. And I think, I guess it sort of links to. Um... Jumping the line, but I feel like they sort of try to go back to this well, miming at the end. I just don't think it hits as hard because this, this is so well done. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, does anyone know the moniker of which Harry Belafonte had? Um, it's a very good one. No, go the King of Calypso. The King. Oh, that is good. I like the King of Calypso. Yeah, for people who are unaware, Harry Belafonte is kind of one of the leading Caribbean musicians, especially of the area that popularized the styles of Calypso music, particularly in the fifties and sixties. I think Deo is probably his biggest song. It was originally when he released it, it was called the Banana Boat Song. So what the bit is that is in brackets. It reached fifth in the singles chart in the US. Yeah. And as we kind of alluded to before, it's what's known as a call to work song. Not not too dissimilar to kind of like a, a typical chanting song. And it was based on the kind of musings and some of the lines sung by dock workers, especially in the late 19th, early 18th century. So it would work through the night collecting bananas. So I guess it's someone, you know, in the morning 
daylight comes and we've got to go home, you know, counting up, tally man, you know, counting up your bananas, how many have you done, get paid. But it has like a, a vibrant energy. It's not supposed to be like a, you know, like we say we talked about in like Dumbo, you know, this kind of like hardworking, sluggish working song. It's kind of this joyous, you know, enjoyable. That's part of the Calypso style. It's part of the Calypso music. And it is, you do feel like that when you listen to it. It's very hard not to kind of like, as they're doing in the scene, dance because it has like a beat to it and a very jive and it feels very summery and vibrant in relation to the film so david geffen who is a very famous film exec and producer an interesting fact about david geffen apparently he's the second biggest polluter individual polluter in the world yikes basically because of yachts super yachts he owns a lot of yachts Uh, i think he also sold his house to jeff bezos for like 170 million dollars biggest sale of a house in uh, California. So the guy's got money. (laughs) Uh, And apparently he approached (laughs) Harry Belafonte asking, could I use, uh, in a phone call he said, could I use your music in a dark comedy about two ghosts who hire a crass freelance (laughs) bioexist? And uh, Belafonte couldn't completely wrap his brain around the film's plot. Surprising. But was intrigued and flattered. In an interview with Pitchfork he said what was particularly attractive was that they wanted to use my voice because like a lot of songs as we've covered of the time so many people released this song it just seemed like a thing of the 40s and 50s like you made you wrote a song and it was just pumped out to various record producers who just got anyone and everyone to do a recording of it so yeah. i think some various different versions of this song there's ones by fontaine sisters um steve lawrence dame shirley bassey my favorite of our podcast and these have all had like top 40 like hits because the song is so good uh, and so enjoyable. I think there's a Tarriers version, which is very successful in the US, but it was just redone and rehashed and redone. But he, Belafonte liked that they approached him for his version, which is probably the most famous version is the version we all know, the one that Kellogg's ripped off and <laughs> made better. He went for yes. Apparently when they were originally doing this scene, they were just doing a lot of talking and they were going to have a possession, but they felt it was lacking something. It's just going to be maybe a jokey, I don't know, you know, like they kind of like start doing random stuff. I don't think it was just going to be just a random... It was originally conceived as like a really spooky scene and someone went, I know just the song. It's not not a million miles away. Some reports it was Catherine O'Hara who suggested Calypso would bring more energy to the scene. And then um, I think one of the writers at the time suggested a few Calypso tunes that he knew, including Deo. Tim Burton likes the sound of the song, so... Geffen had that call with Belafonte, they used it, and that's what went into it. And that's how it kind of how it lasted. The only other song that was apparently suggested was something called If I Didn't Care by the Ink Spot. I have never heard of this and did not recognise it when I played it back on YouTube. There was also a suggestion for When a Man Loves a Woman, <laughs> a replacement for the Shake Senora bit. But again, I feel like it needs to be Shake Senora. I don't know if you want to men- say anything about that use of that song, because again, I think it is a nice way to celebrate the end of the film. Like what I said before, it feels a bit of a rehash of the Deo scene, so yeah, it's a nice little sort of cap on the end of the movie. Yes. But it, it just doesn't have the last impression of the Deo table scene. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like a continuity, th- I guess, element of it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a nice little callback moment, I suppose. I just think the way it's performed is not as fun. Is it? It's kind of. I don't know. It just seems slightly out of the character of Winona Ryder as well. I think that's kind of what gets me. I know, like the idea is that she's now happier, but it's. Um, it just feels a little shoehorned in at the end. And I think we all know that the song is better in Paddington too. 
That is true. Yeah. <laughs> so everything's better in Paddington too. Everything is better in Paddington too. Top five. Top five time, and it's me this week. So it's a simple one this week. Obviously, we haven't spoken much about Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I felt like it was only right that I fix that by talking about the American royal family, the Baldwins. And I'm not accepting Alec Baldwin as an answer for this. So just name me five official Baldwins. Oh my god. I know for definite one other. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin is, is correct. You know, you yes. know Stephen Baldwin? The, the, Stephen Baldwin is in one of the greatest films of all time. And I'm not saying usual suspects. Flintstones. No, no, not Flintstones. <laughs> he is in a film called Sharks in Venice. Now, <laughs> it is very unclear in Sharks in Venice if he's being serious or not. I think, I, we watched this about eight of us last Halloween, I think he's playing it serious, but there's Sharks in Venice. <laughs> is it about actual sharks, or is it like Sharks in Venice in sort of like a mafia type thing? Uh, there's both. There is mafia. Oh, it's a real head-scratcher then. Yeah, yeah it's basically, I mean, I mean, it sounds very basic. The idyllic surroundings of the Italian city become a bloodbath when the canals are invaded by ferocious man-eating sharks. Basically, Stephen Baldwin is like a an Indiana Jones-style character, and there's some treasure under, ve- under Venice and his father found it, and he's trying to go back. But for some reason, there's also sharks that have been released by the mafia. <laughs> it has 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Watch it. Okay. Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. Yeah, Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin, yeah, that's Billy two. Baldwin. There's one in, in the TV show Firefly, isn't it? Is that, I want to say, Adam Baldwin? I don't know. Adam Baldwin's not an official Baldwin. Oh, no. Is that someone else? He's not part of the Baldwin family. Is he? So is Adam Baldwin a relative, then? Nope, he's not even related. He's just, he just, but he's, happens to be called Baldwin. Yeah, and, and has managed to, like, get a bit of rubber the green in terms of getting acting roles. <laughs> because people thought he was a Baldwin. L- literally, on the Wikipedia page, <laughs> there is a section that says, Adam Baldwin is not a Baldwin. <laughs> Fine. Nice. nice. <laughs> I always thought, yeah, because I always assumed that he was. But that makes sense, because he doesn't really look like them. Kim Basinger? I'll accept, yes. Oh. Ex-wife of Alec Baldwin. Uh, F- Faria, is it Faria Alam? Is that her name? Am I thinking of someone else? Who's his current wife? That's not on my yeah, list. That's, that's no, might not be a name. Uh, Come on, guys, shoot your shot. Are the other famous? Are the other famous? Jonathan. Jonathan Baldwin. <laughs> oh, of the Baldwin um, brothers, I would say the last Baldwin brother isn't famous that you haven't got. Michael uh, Baldwin. No. Yeah, yeah. Mark. Um, <laughs> James Baldwin. <laughs> Kevin Baldwin. <laughs> no. Um, so wives and children are available here. So like, if it's anyone else, but, you can go for. But, but, but I don't know what else. Any other Baldwin? <laughs> I can't remember what his wife's name is. Not Free or Alam. She was the. She's like the FA football secretary. <laughs> I don't know where her name came from. It's because his current wife. No, it's hilar- Is it Hilaria Baldwin? Yes. Yes, oh, it is. That's no, yes. What about what's it, what about what's her face? Does Haley Bieber count? Yes, she does. Haley Bieber counts. Ah. Daughter of Stephen. Yeah, Hilaria counts that she's the current wife of. Alec. She's the current wife. Yes, yeah. I was like, I, some, uh, yeah. So, so that's five. You got five. So the, the the Baldwin brother that you missed was Daniel Baldwin. Hmm. No, da- well, sure. How did we not say a Daniel? Yeah. I feel like they all do get mentioned in the South Park scene, don't they? But uh, like yeah. the, some of the names are said. Um, yeah. So the other ones you could have had was Isabella Hoffman, who is the former partner of Daniel, Kenya Baldwin, who's the current wife of Stephen, and China Phillips from the band Wilson Phillips, who is the wife <laughs> of Billy. The, and nice. in terms of the children. You got, you got Hayley Bieber, and the other one was Island Baldwin. Island in the sea. So there's not actually that many um, famous, quote-unquote, Baldwins 
and Adam Baldwin doesn't count. Is it like the Royals? Is it like the Royals that they considered like working Baldwins? <laughs> maybe that's where Adam doesn't fit in. Like maybe he's like Sarah Ferguson. <laughs> he's not. He's not. He's not a working Baldwin. Yeah, but he did get the corgis in. That was the top five. That's all I could come up with. I like it. Okay, so now it's time to decide what is better, the movie or the song. Beetlejuice versus Deo. As always, Alex goes first, and he's given the pressure of picking. I think I will pick film, because I enjoy the film as a whole. I think it's very fun. I like the scene with the song. I think it's probably the strongest scene. And I do think that the song makes it, so it is a difficult choice, this, but even without that scene, the film is still very enjoyable to watch, I think. Yeah. So, for that reason, I'm going to have to go film. Cool. Ben? I remember when I said that we were doing Deo, my wife, <laughs> even though she probably should have been aware that Beetlejuice came out in the 80s, she thought the song Deo was by Jason Derulo. <laughs> <laughs> what? Does he do the version? And there's a, the one where it goes like, daylight, come, and we don't want to go home. It uses like, Deo. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, one of those schlocky covers. It's not Jason um, Dedeo. J- Jason Derulo. Jason Derulo. <laughs> Jason Derulo. <laughs> Jason Derulo covers all sorts. Like, he covers that, um, what's the song by Andrea Bocelli? Like, the, the Time to Say Goodbye. Is that Andrea Bocelli? <laughs> he does a song version of that, which is hilarious. But anyway, Calypso music is enjoyable, but Beetlejuice is more enjoyable. Um, I, I think this is the best Tim Burton film. Probably. Mate. Yeah. I'm trying to look. I'm trying to think. Yeah, probably. So you got to keep it. It's not long afterwards he goes to cut downhill quite quickly. Yeah. Big Fish is fine, but then he makes a lot of crap. I mean, Big Fish is great. Not fine. Great. Yeah, to be fair, no, Big Fish is good. I'm probably not giving it the credit. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I used to love the film. But everything around it is crap. Sleepy Hollow's good. Mm. <laughs> Alex doesn't sound convinced there. <laughs> I think I'll agree with you guys that it's movie over song this week. Um, I think this is one of those ones where there's an argument for the scene over the movie, over the song, but that's not what this is. This is movie or song. So <laughs> Stop trying to make it that, D. Stop trying to make it that. And well, ever since we did the Swiss Army Man episode, that concept of the scene, that scene from that song from that movie, has really stuck with me. <laughs> okay, so that brings an end to our Halloween special of that song from that movie. Let us know which one you think's better, the movie or the song, and you can let us know on Twitter... But Ben, what is our Twitter handle? At TSFTMPod. Thank you. You can also share this on Reddit. But Alex, what random subreddit should they share it on this week? Obviously, Robert Goulet. <laughs> the Robert Goulet subreddit. <laughs> I, bet that, I bet that is very popular. He's from a subreddit anyway, isn't he? <laughs> it's good enough. <laughs> uh, so you can also help the podcast uh, by telling all your friends, uh, leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts, buying our merch or signing up to be one of our patrons. All the links for that are in the show notes. So all stuff now is do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. I know just about <laughs> I know just as much about the supernatural as I do about interior design. And goodbye from Ben. Think about what you're doing, Rossi. What are you gonna do? Fight the sharks alone? <laughs> Maybe I'll take my chances. God <laughs> Jackson Venice. <laughs> so, goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 <laughs> you know, Jackson Venice, the divers all speak yeah. very clearly underwater despite the breathing apparatus in the mouths. <laughs>
Gott, the golden day of adverts. 